Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining me on the Slice of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Jared Taylor. Joining me today is the founder and CEO at Brightside Health, Brad Kittredge. Brad, how are you? I'm doing great. Good to see you again, Jared. Excited. Yeah, for, for the audience, uh, they don't know. We, we just saw each other at the health conference in Vegas. Um, and this is the probably quickest turnaround to meeting someone uh, again in person to recording an episode. So um, I, we already had this planned before the conference, though. So it just worked out this way. That's right. That's right. But um, yeah, most of us are a little tired after that conference and all the talking we did because uh, there were just so many interesting people there. But uh, great to be continuing the dialogue. Well, uh, on today's episode, we'd love to kick off, since this is your first time on the show, uh, I know the audience would love to hear more about your background, and then we'll dive into some some more uh, topics around Brightside Health. All right. Yeah. Um, you know, I got interested in digital health, I think like a lot of people, uh, out of personal experience. And, and my experience was that when I was in my late 20s, uh, almost overnight, I had to use the healthcare system pretty intensively for the first time. And unfortunately, I had a really hard time finding the right providers um, and uh, navigating between providers, even getting my own data from the health system that I was being seen at. And it was a really terrible feeling. I felt really unempowered and, and honestly a little bit scared. Um, my reaction to that was to go online and to try to find tools and resources so that I could do something myself. I realized that I was the most motivated to actually solve my own problem. But uh, just to date myself a little bit, this was back in 2007. And at that time, there were very few digital health companies. We hadn't even named the space digital health yet. All I was able to find were Yahoo groups where people were sharing information and trying to help each other. Um, what I found at that point were uh, a number of, th of things that were helpful to me, but mostly millions of other people like me. And so um, I got really inspired by the sort of early rise of consumerism in healthcare and really wanted to be part of that, wanted to help build tools to allow people to better manage their health and their healthcare. Um, and it's been a really fun and exciting journey from, uh, you know, being very early in the space, uh, building um, some of the experiences at Jawbone for Up for the first wearables, uh, helping to build the, uh, the product at 23andMe, uh, as well as take that product through the FDA, uh, and now being able to build Brightside. Um, my, my focus and my priority is really, uh, of course, including consumerism but also expanding that aperture to really make sure that we're building healthcare grade solutions. Uh, I fundamentally believe that that's the way that we're gonna change healthcare is not just with outside in disruption, um, but understanding the way healthcare is delivered and paid for and regulated and adding consumerism in there um, and using digital to actually raise the quality bar in healthcare. Thanks so much for the intro, Brad. Yeah, it's uh, love your background and, and love what you're building at Brightside Health. Um, I, I know most of our audience is familiar with the company, and we had um, your, your chief medical officer on a, a number number of years ago. But I would love to focus in on if you give us a quick overview of the company, because I know I think that was two years ago, yeah. last time we had someone from your team on. So we'd, we'd love to hear uh, where you're at today. Yeah, you know, we, we kind of measure uh, life in digital health in dog years. So two years is, is really a long time. Um, we are a national telepsychiatry platform. Uh, so we offer treatment for the full range of mood and anxiety disorders uh, using medication management uh, and evidence-based therapy. Um, we, are, we operate in all 50 states and D.C., 
Uh, we accept health insurance, so we have national relationships with Cigna, Aetna, and United Healthcare, as well as a number of regional blues plans. And we have a particular uh, both emphasis and competency that's really unique in the market in that we're really good at treating the hardest cases. So uh, about four out of five of our members start with moderately severe or severe depression or anxiety. Almost half start with suicidal ideation. Um, and we, of course, offer great access. We think access is, is really just table stakes in healthcare. So we offer appointments within 48 hours uh, for everybody. And, and anyone who's looked for mental health care knows that that's pretty astounding when usually uh, care availability is measured in months in traditional care environments. And we've taken a lot of pride in our outcomes. Um, our, our focus, our, our competency and mission as a team is measurably better outcomes at scale. We think that that discipline to not only measure outcomes, but actually drive better outcomes has been missing in mental health care for so long. And we've now published, I think, six papers showing our outcomes in peer review uh, and really proud uh, about what we're able to deliver there and the impact we are making on people's lives every day. I'd love to. I'd love to learn more about uh, the, the peer review studies. So, so can you tell the audience uh, what you believe is the importance of these peer review studies? Yeah, of course. You know, when when we go engage with traditional stakeholders in healthcare, meaning payers or health systems um, or other vendors. You know, there, there's been a quality and safety system and set of checks and balances that have been built up in the clinical environment and in the, the, the broader healthcare community over many decades um, and sort of digesting and building in lots and lots of learnings. And of course, it's easy to sometimes criticize those checks and balances based on inefficiencies and bureaucracy. So by no means are they perfect, um, but in many cases, they are quite effective. And for many decades now, the, the quality standard when it comes to being able to make claims in healthcare is, is peer-reviewed published data. Um, that's very different than the norm in the technology industry where people put out white papers and where the norm in you know, raising money is always exaggeration. Um, and so, you know, healthcare and healthcare relationships are built on trust and the way to establish and build trust in this case, particularly as a new kind of company operating in a traditional industry is to follow the norm and to show that we can actually meet and exceed the standards that they're accustomed to just because, uh, we're taking a different approach using technology and data in novel ways. Uh, you know, it doesn't mean that we're not subject to the same requirements that every other healthcare player uh, plays by. So we've really embraced that and said, as a provider, we need to stand behind our data. We should go celebrate it. And it needs to stand up to that scrutiny in order for us to be successful. Um, so uh, we're really proud of what we've been able to show there, um, including comparing our outcomes against one of the best health systems in the US that we were able to publish and show that we had 50% better rates of, of remission and treatment response in a matched cohort with thousands of patients. So one of the real advantages that digital health companies have if you want to approach peer-reviewed publishing is we tend to have bigger sample sizes because you've already got customers that you can engage more easily and scale, and you've got more data and more granular data, more different types of data, which opens the door for really interesting and compelling studies to publish on. So there's, there's a ton of opportunity uh, if you can make the investment, uh, and then there's a ton of uh, payoff to that over time. And you recently released, a, you recently had a, a peer study. Can you tell the audience uh, what that peer study covered and, and what were the outcomes? Yeah, so uh, we, we've had a number of them. Um, our most recent one was about suicidal ideation. So, you know, I, I, I just talked briefly about 
the broad outcomes we have, but we also zoomed in on, you know, how do we do among those who uh, are most severe? Uh, and I think suicidal ideation is a pretty good proxy for that. Um, so we were able to show that in 12 weeks of treatment, we were able to eliminate suicidal ideation among those who presented for care with it uh, in 77% of people. Um, one criticism that some people have, or, or just one drawback around um, using sort of observational or retrospective data uh, in a digital health environment is that there's often not a control group. Um, one of the things that we realized that we had at Brightside is uh, actually a, a built-in control group because um, since our beginning, we've had a part of our product that we give away for free that includes uh, symptom tracking over time. So we actually do have a, a substantial cohort of people who track their symptoms, but actually haven't received care. And so in that study, we were able to compare reductions in suicidal ideation compared to this digital placebo um, and to control for that and actually show um, 4.3 times higher rates of uh, elimination of SI compared to that control group. Um, so you know, phenomenal results that we're really proud of. Um, we've also shown that we have equal results in a senior population to our broad population. So, you know, there's always a lot of questions about whether seniors can use and benefit from telehealth and, and technology tools um, and great results there. Um, we've also got some really exciting papers uh, in review right now and, and coming out soon. Look forward to checking uh, more of these out. Um, we should, I don't know, maybe we can add a link to, to one of the most recent ones if it's, uh, if you're willing to, to share. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Let's put those in the show notes. Sweet. Um, one of the things that you and I wanted to talk about too is, you know, we both had a good time at the, at the health conference, met a lot of great people, uh, giving them a quick shout out. So we'd love to hear your, uh, initial thoughts on health 2022, uh, since it's, it's super fresh in your mind too. Um, I, I don't know. I'd love to give some of my thoughts as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll preface it by saying, I've never really been a person who loves conferences uh, and um, I've always been a little hesitant to go in part because I'm an introvert. Um, but I honestly, when I got to health, I had a huge smile on my face. I didn't, I didn't do a lot of thinking about what to expect. I hadn't prepared myself and the scale of it and the like energy of it just like hits you as you walk in. There are so many people and so many like lights and sounds and you walk through this tunnel with these massive screens and I honestly got chills walking in and I was like, wow, digital health has arrived. You know, going back to that time in 2007, when I got inspired to try to start building uh, digital health solutions, when you know, we were rubbing two sticks together, um, this industry has really reached a tipping point and um, is really sort of becoming a strong center of gravity in healthcare. So seeing all these amazing companies, all this energy, and just a phenomenally produced conference that just frankly felt like really professional, it made me really feel like digital health has arrived and um, you know, was able to just bump into so many uh, old friends and colleagues and collaborators, as well as meet a bunch of new, smart, interesting, innovative companies. And so... Um, you know, as a, as a conference doubter, I was a real convert and, and just had a phenomenal time. Yeah, it was a, a ton of fun. There was good content. Met, it's, it's so cool to meet the people that you've been connecting with virtually over the years. And, you know, you've been able to see some, you see at past conferences and in person, but the amount of people I was able to connect with that I only ever communicated with virtually, it was really, really fun. Uh, made a lot of great connections and had a lot of awesome conversations mentally though, right? It's exhausting when you, when you get out of this, um, 
uh, overslept. That never happens to me. I was on West Coast time too, right? I'm on the East Coast. So I did not oversleep if this was Vegas. I was, I was really good, but, um, it was, it was a good event. I'm excited for next year. Uh, people will find this funny, but usually it's around, um, it's around the November time and my sister is getting married next year. And I was very worried that I would have to miss next year because of her wedding. And a lot of people say that's a no brainer. No, <laughs> of course I was going to miss it if, if it was my sister's wedding, but um, yeah, I think it's going to be in October. So we're, we're solid. Great. Yeah. We're solid, I mean, yeah. We got to see if, if the venue can still hold them uh, next year, they might have to size up with the, the amount of interest there's been. Yeah. It was, I think right around 10,000 people. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, my last question for you, Brad, is I, I love to always get our guests' opinions on what does the future look like in their particular space. So I ask you, what what does the future of mental health look like through your lens? Yeah. Well, it, it's such a fun and interesting question for those of us who like to think about the space. Uh, and obviously, there are a lot of angles you can go with there. Um, I'll, I'll give a couple of sort of building blocks in the way that I think about it. One is, you know, I think that from Roughly 2010 to 2020 was kind of V1 of telehealth, um, where we had the emergence of some of the sort of early telemedicine platforms like Teladoc, who did a lot of great work to help sort of standardize and and make people familiar with and comfortable with um, remotely driven care. I think since then, and since sort of a flurry of investment, we've started to see the seeds planted for sort of telehealth 2.0, which to me is, is... moving well beyond just thinking of telehealth as web visits and really conceiving of it as, as technology-enabled care that combines a lot of things around remote monitoring and data-driven decision-making and, and different ways of supporting care in a remote way. Um, and so I think that's one of the sort of the key trends is really seeing that manifest and, and continue to take off. You've seen sort of smaller and smaller verticals that people are focused on and a lot of niches of really getting care right for different conditions and different populations. Um, I think all of that has happened in the context of payers really leaning into virtual care and virtual behavioral care in particular. And so we've seen payers making major investments there. And I think that's going to continue where um, they want to get closer to the provision of care using virtual assets and tools and and ways to influence the decisions people are making for where and how to get care and, and the outcomes that care can deliver. I think what's next on the payer front is certainly trying to push more and more rigor, which includes trying to unlock value-based care. As much as we talk about it, it's been uh, pretty limited still and and challenging in a number of ways, in large part just because of the operational and technical complexity of managing value-based contracts and performance measurement. Um, So I think we're going to see more and more payers um, piloting and rolling out meaningful programs over the next few years there. Um, The other part is really around providers. And I see providers and health systems um, really starting the the early part of their adoption curve here. In many cases, health systems might see uh, tele, uh, you know, virtual care solutions as competitive, right? And and taking patient volume away from them. Um, But I think they're starting to realize that it's inevitable and that rather than compete, there are a lot of opportunities to collaborate. Um, In behavioral health, that's uh, a big a big point for us and a big opportunity where if you go to any local health system, you're likely to see a six month wait or more for an outpatient psychiatry appointment. Um, So there are a lot of service lines where uh, health systems are struggling and where there are opportunities to partner and do better. Um, So we're seeing a sort of a new type of thinking there. 
Um, and what, what I think is cool about it is it's going to be some interesting models in the convergence of traditional brick and mortar care with virtual care. And I think it really signals sort of further maturity of the industry and opportunity to remake, you know, the next uh, healthcare system and the next healthcare industry uh, by, by fully integrating the tools that are developing uh, and using the best of brick and mortar with the best of virtual in a seamless way. It'll be exciting to see how everything plays out, but from following you, you know, in the early days of, of Brightside Health and seeing where the company has been today, uh, you, you're pretty good with the, the predictions and, and uh, you know, thinking ahead in this space. So uh, excited to see what happens. I'm going to keep asking you that every time you come on, too, because the, the future can change, right? So That's right. It's um, a moving target every time. And, you know, the, the one thing that I did that I, I believed then and I uh, continue to believe very vehemently is that... Uh, quality is what's going to change the industry, right? You know, people get excited about access. They get excited about sort of flashy things, but in the end, what matters is quality. And if you can build a service that can reliably deliver better quality, which can mean a lot of things in a lot of different applications, but, you know, reliability and less variability, less mistakes, better decision-making at the right time, um, there are, there are going to be pathways to success. That is what the healthcare system needs and what it values. And so um, that's the North Star that we can count on all the time. And last thing for you, Brad, is what's next? Uh, what's happening next with Brightside Health that you're willing to, to share? Yeah, well, I'm really excited to announce that we just recently launched our crisis care program. Um, it's available today in, I think, 27 states, and we're uh, trying to get to 50 states by the end of the year. Um, crisis care is really going deeper with our commitment to offer timely and effective care to the hardest cases, to the people who need it the most. What we found, um, both ourselves and, and with people that we know and trust in the market, was that when people uh, escalate to the point where they have active suicide risk, so you know, in the PHQ nine, the, the ninth question is, are you having you know suicidal thoughts? When people say yes, we ask them uh, a sort of a branching question that is, is that a vague thought or feeling, or are you making specific and tangible plans to to this end? And if people answer the latter, it's you know they're they're in sort of a different category of active suicide risk. Um, if they're thinking specifically how they might follow through with it. In the past, we would have referred that case for in-person care, where you can offer sort of timely and high-touch care. But what we found is that it's hard enough to get a routine outpatient mental health appointment, let alone you know something that's really time-sensitive, um, and that only a subset of providers are comfortable handling those types of cases. So the people who need care the most weren't getting it, and then their only option becomes going to the ER. And the ER provides a really vital safety function, um, but it's not a good place to get mental health treatment. They're basically just going to see, do they need to hold you for a period of time or will they discharge you? And so that was a really painful gap in care that has a major impact on so many lives. And so we took a fresh look at it and said, okay, how, you know, with our system, with our quality bar, with the tools we've built, how can we make sure that we can deliver evidence-based, timely and effective and safe care to people that are in that situation? Um, we built our program on a, a protocol called the CAMS protocol with 30 years of research behind it um, and are really proud to be rolling that out and being able to reach people who, uh, you know, in, in prior days were going to had a really hard time accessing care. So, um, you know, really signaling what we stand for, who, what we care about is Brightside. Uh, I can tell you we're also going to be uh, starting to treat youth in 2023, going down to age 13. You know, we're currently 18 and above, and we know there's just such a huge need in that environment. Um, and um, other surprises that I'll tell you about next time. 
Love it, Brad. This is super exciting. Um, I can't wait to stay in touch with you. We're going to have you on some other shows too. It was awesome to, to reconnect in person. And I wish uh, you and Brightside Health all the best of luck. I really appreciate that. Thanks so much, Jude.